Thank you very much. So uh, we're going to go straight in. I'll just, just really start off. We're going to look at this passage together. Um, I would like to read it. It's on page 1070 in your Bibles. Uh, and if you were here last week, you'll know that we, we had Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and the follow-on from that is Jesus crosses the lake, walking on the water, uh, and the people follow him. So we're at that point uh, in the story. So if we, uh, to read that. So it's uh, John six twenty-two to 51, to verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the true bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, let's always give us this bed. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent them draws draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now you may realize that that last line is different to the version you've got in the church Bibles. But I, I did that because the original Greek ends on the word sark. It ends on this word flesh. And it's really, really striking that Jesus would finish this discourse on such a startling way. 
And we'll see next week when we took it. Actually, it creates quite a reaction even amongst Jesus' followers. But it's important to bear in mind that actually Jesus is not on the message they're expecting. Even, the, even his followers are not expecting some of the things he says. And we always have to be recognized like that with Jesus sometimes, that it's not always what we expect. And, of course, we're used these days to politicians and things not being on message. But actually Jesus is very clear this is God's will, this is God's message. He is coming from a place that we may not always, always uh, recognize. So it's, as Lou says, it's my first time preaching here this morning. I'm really delighted to be here um, to do that. Uh, and, and it's very exciting. Or me a little bit nervous, but exciting. And it, and it may seem bad form that the first time I'm invited to speak on a New Testament passage, I'm going to concentrate quite a lot on an Old Testament passage. And I'm going to concentrate on the book of Exodus. And, and there's two reasons for that. Um, the first is that I... I've been studying Exodus for the last four months, so I'm in a good position to do that. But there's one much, much more important reason than that, is that I would say that is what is happening in this passage. Jesus is taking us back into this story of Exodus. And as we start to look at it today, you see it's not just Jesus taking us back into this story of Exodus. We've sort of been set up in the way this happens, and I'll try and draw those parallels as we go through. And we'll see that we've been propelled in a story um, that, that goes back into this passage. But of course, we, if you take it on a line, you imagine there's a line here and Jesus is standing on this line at the moment. This table to the left is beyond where Jesus is standing. But back over here is this great narrative of the Exodus story, which I'll talk about in a minute. And of course, we are somewhere over there. We stand and we look back on this. And, and we sort of have a, you know, maybe a sort of sound by culture or whatever, but we sort of look and, and we see this story and Jesus talking about bread and we immediately propel ourselves to here. And that's not wrong because that's where Jesus is ultimately going. But Jesus standing in this point is, is, is pushing us in this direction. And I think what he's trying to say is we need to understand this story to understand this story. And so he's taking these people back into this, this exodus story. And, 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 and in a way, Jesus does that so much. He just drops us into little things. And, and we tend to just pick the little things up. And Jesus does it on the cross. He, he drops us into Psalm 22, but we quite often just pick the little bits. And in a sense, there's something I get into a lot in my work, actually, is this sort of simplicity beyond complexity. We like to find something simple and we look for an easy answer. But actually, sometimes we have to embrace a huge complex picture to understand what is a very simple message. And I think Jesus is drawing us into that picture. Uh, and so it's, you know, and John is doing that, and we'll see in the dialogue, and we'll realize that actually God is doing this. God has pushed us back into this story in this place. Now, there's loads in this passage. It's a massive passage. He's just read it. I'm not going to get through it, you know, in great detail today. So, you know, I really encourage you to get to, to your house groups if you're part of a house group. If you're not, find a house group and, and get a chance to unpack some of the other stuff. Because this morning we're really going to to one place, we're going to one point, and we're going to one question. Um, there'll be some detours on the way, but, but fundamentally we're going to that one place. So we're going back into the book of Exodus. We're not going to go back in there. I'm going to just give you sort of a bit of a wrap-up of the important bits that we need to know for this story. Obviously many of you will know the story very well. But so, so, so the Exodus story, but for these Jews at this time, when Jesus starts this little dialogue into the manna from heaven and, and if you were here last week you heard Dan talk about Moses and things that triggers in these people something that what it was to be a Jew what it was to be a people of God was to be an exodus person God tells them write it on your heart it's a story that you should never forget 
And actually, as we'll see, this, this meal we share here is the meal that remembers this event back in, uh, in many years previous. So, so, so Exodus, second book of the Bible, large book, it's a story that starts with, with the Israelites. The people of God are oppressed under slavery. They are, they are, they are under, un, under oppression. And they are under oppression. There's a character in this story called the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he is caricatured as the evil one. He is the epitome of evil, and he's a, the oppressor over these people of, of God's. Um, and into this story comes a baby. And of course, we see actually people under slavery and we see a baby come into the story. And you might even trigger now. We know a gospel story and it starts in that way. But anyway, Moses, it goes through quickly. Moses finds himself up on a mountainside with the sheep and he sees a bush burning and he goes over to it and God says, Moses, take your shoes off. It's, it's holy ground. So, so Moses takes off his shoes. That's a really good excuse for me to take my shoes off because I like doing that. Um, and a debate goes on between Moses and, 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 and God and Moses, God says I, I want you to go and liberate my people from Egypt and Moses says "Oh, do you think I can have an easier job you know, can I do the welcome at the Queen's Fun Day or serve tea and coffee but God says no I want you to go and liberate my people anyway there's a good bit of negotiation in there if you want to do negotiation skills Moses is very good at this and he gets some help from God so in the end, Wednesday, so we, this story goes on, and, and, and Moses and his helper Aaron, they find themselves before the evil Pharaoh, and they said, God wants you to let your people go. And Pharaoh says, no, we're not having it, we're not going this way. Uh, and as we go into this, we, we, we see that God says, okay, I'm going to do this in style. And, and we find actually it's a story of God is in the publicity business. God says, I'm going to do this in style. This is going to be big. And, and if you look at some of the theologians, they talk about it's a story of God creating a global reputation of self-disclosure. It's a personal intervention, but it's actually a story that God says, here I am, can you see me? I care about my people, I will liberate my people. Uh, and, and that's what we find. So it, it then goes in, and you'll probably know the story of the plagues. The Pharaoh says, no, you're not going. And then God says, okay. Here we go, there's the plagues. So there's the plagues of blood, there's the plagues of frogs. I've written them all down. There's gnats, there's the flies. God says, can you see, world, can you see that I care about these people and I'm going to liberate them? And then there's the livestock, the boils, the hail, and the locusts. And then there's a plague of darkness. And of course, darkness as a prelude to liberation is a story we see in our Gospels. So, and we have this darkness, and then the darkness is followed by the Passover, which, as I say, is, is, a, is, a, is a meal that we celebrate here. So this Passover happens, the final plague, the plague of the firstborn, and Pharaoh says, get out. I've had it, get out. Everybody says, get out. So they set off, but we then find out that Pharaoh's heart's not changed, and Pharaoh says, let's follow them. So the Israelites set out across the desert, and you'll know the story. They passed through the Sea of Reeds. They passed through on foot on dry ground. You might remember I mentioned how we got to this place in this passage. Jesus walks across the water. And here we've got the Israelites walking through the water. We've been set up. We've been brought to this place for a reason. And they pass through, and then the evil one, the Egyptians, they follow them into the water, and then... The waters close over them. They are destroyed. And the Israelites are liberated. 
from Egypt. But they find themselves on the other side and they find themselves grumbling, they find themselves fighting and they realise that they are not free. They have been liberated from Egypt but they are not free. And, and these words, these words grumbling, they come in this passage, we've heard them twice this morning. It's very interesting and I've just some statistics in the, in the NIV you've got there in front of you, I think it is. My eyes, 18 times the word grumbling appears in that Bible. 15 of those 18 times are with reference to this story or reflections on it. So we see the people grumbling in this Exodus story, and then we see Jesus going here, you're grumbling. The people are grumbling. That word wasn't a a mistake. That word is a link to to bring these two passages very, very closely together. Uh, and that grumbling, it's, it's, it's really frightening. You start to look at the definition of that grumbling. There's some people talk about smouldering discontent. It's really scary stuff. But actually, do we do that? You look at these people and they're grumbling and, uh, and we do that. And Jesus is, is really sort of, whoa, we, we, we want to be careful about this, this, this grumbling. So anyway, they've got this grumbling and the fighting and they find they're not free. And, and when you look at the, the historians, the theologians that look at this account of Exodus, they say it, it fundamentally the people of Israel, the Jews at that time would know this story meant that liberation is no guarantee of liberty. And I'll repeat that, liberation is no guarantee of liberty. And that's where these people are. When they're into this Exodus story, they can see, see this, this, this unfolding for them. But so, so they're grumbling that they're forgetting what's gone on before. And, and that brings us into, into this story that Jesus is talking about, the bread and the manna. Because they grumble. They suddenly forget that they were under slavery in Egypt. They're going, we had food in Egypt, Moses, and here we are in the desert. And you know, nobody says, well, yeah, but you're under slavery in Egypt. You were being oppressed by... The, the Pharaoh, you know, but actually all they can remember is they haven't got any food now. But God says, okay, I'll feed you. I will, uh, I'll provide manna from heaven. God says, I will provide bread from heaven. And of course, that's where we're dropped straight into this story um, of Jesus. And, and, and he says, well, he starts talking about the manna. It's actually, there's a bit of a side here, but when I was reading this, I, I get challenged by this bit, because in that passage, Jesus says, early on, he says, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you had your loaves and ate the fill. And I thought, oh, actually, oh, come on, Jesus, it's a bit unreasonable. These people have hitchhiked their way across the lake to come and see you. Is it because you're a great baker, or you do fabulous smoked salmon bagels? And... You know, I think actually it was a bit, a bit of a challenge, but I, I'll share this, not in criticism and not in any other way, but I was really challenged as I sort of had this debate. Is that It occurred to me that in this church every Sunday, people faithfully come up here to do prayer ministry and people come up and have prayed for and be prayed for, and it's fantastic. And every Sunday people wonderfully come and provide cakes and biscuits and coffee and tea at the back. And as I say, don't put this as a criticism, but as I looked at that, I suddenly realized there's always a queue over there. And I've never seen a queue here. Uh, and as I say, don't take, you know, as a Christian, I was challenged by that as well, but I couldn't really escape it as I started to, to push back on this criticism, this Jesus' point. 
perhaps we, we need to keep it in mind. So anyway, the manner I've used polystyrene, it's probably not far from the mark, actually. Manner actually means, what is it? By definitely, you know, the Hebrew word means, what's this? And if you read the accounts, it's, they talk about resin, they talk about um, coriander seed, there's all sorts of stuff. And actually, if you read people, there's really interesting, people do some studies of this stuff, and they go, they're trying to work out whether it was some... I think excrement of beetles or something like that. I'm thinking, whoa, I don't want to know about this. But so, so polystyrene's probably not. Uh, and actually, it's sort of like the equivalent of rich tea biscuit. Uh, you know, my family will know that I have an aversion to rich tea biscuits. I think they're offence to the rest of the biscuit town. But actually, just apologise, whoever's on coffee, if you've done rich tea biscuits, I do apologise. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. So, so, you know, so we've got this stuff. And it's not great, but God, God provides it to them every day for them to eat. And they eat it for 40 years. Now it's not 40 years. God has liberated these people from Egypt and he's taken them to the promised land. It is not 40 years between Egypt and the promised land. It is not that far. So what's going on? Are they lost? Are the people lost? Well it says in the account that they followed the fire of God by night and the pillar of cloud pillar of smoke of God by day. So they're clearly following God. So no, they're not lost. Maybe God's lost. I don't know. I just, it's before sat you know, mobile phones weren't around. But this is the creator of heaven and earth. He knows where the promised land is. So he's not lost. What's going on? And of course, what's going on is God knows that he can't just lift these people out of this place and place them into the promised land. They need to be transformed. And that journey, and, and, and I say, theologians would, would, would talk about it as uh, it's not just a journey forward in, in space and time, but a march towards a goal, a moral progress of transformation. Uh, and what we find is they've moved from the enemy without to the enemy within. And there's a saying that says that it took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt. It took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And God provides the food for that journey. Uh, and it's just a, a, a side here, and I say, I encourage you, if you haven't read Exodus in a while, read it. It's an amazing story, and it, it's messy. It's really messy. These people don't do it great sometimes. You know, I can really relate to them, I have to say. You know, and they, you don't read it just before your lunch. It's some quite stuff in there, but there's something in it which is really important, and that is, and if you like long words, there's a word called theophany. The presence of God in this story is immense. It's absolute chaos. They are worshipping the wrong things, they're fighting, they're grumbling, and God is there. In the fire, he's there in the smoke, he's there in the faces of Moses, he's there in the tabernacle. And I just say, if you're in that place... If you're in that place of chaos, then don't miss God. And sometimes we do, we think he's, he can't look on us. But actually he's in this story, he's right in the thick of this, of this muddle and, uh, and he's there feeding them every day, every part of that really quite a tough journey. So coming back to this story, we're back to this line and Jesus is standing here. So we've now got this bread that Jesus is alluding to, which is bread for a journey of transformation. And Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm that bread. It's not 
the polystyrene. It's not the, the Beatles. It, it's, it's, um, it's me. And, and, and that bread comes in the story. It comes very uh, carefully with, with, with rules of how you collect it. And it comes with, well, you know, I'll, you know, I'll give you this bread and you collect enough for one day. But the day before Sabbath, you collect enough for the Sabbath because God doesn't deliver bread on Sabbath. So they have to collect it, but if they collect too much, it just fills with worms and beetle. You know, it fills with worms and mess. So actually, it's very careful. But they are totally relying on God. They have no other option for this journey that they are, are undertaking on. So as we come back to this table, so we pass through this line, and we come now to this story that we know, we find God in the publicity business again. We find God in the liberation business again. So as we come through, and, and, and so as we approach that table, we find God saying, can you see me? Can you see me? I'm going to liberate you. And God again in the publicity and the, on the self-disclosure of a God who cares for his people. On that cross, it's funny. When I was preparing for this. I was on a train, and I somebody left a magazine line around. And said the world's most valuable brands, and there seems to be a playoff between Apple and Google. They've missed something. Is this not the world's most valuable brand? Is the cross not something that we can't fail to see globally? And just like the Bible is the most valuable thing given to the Queen on our coronation, is this not the most valuable brand in the world? So if anybody wants a summer project, I'd love to work out what the financial value of this brand was. But just something. So Jesus is there and Jesus said, I'm going to show you. God is going to reveal himself as one who liberates his people. So as he's on the cross, of course, Jesus says, he kicks us into Psalm 22. Without looking it up, somebody here, could you tell me what the last line of Psalm 22 is? Anybody? He has done it. He has done it. Jesus says, I have done it. I have liberated you. But we find ourselves in a place that says liberation is no guarantee of liberty. And Jesus says, I, my body, my flesh, is the bread for the journey. And the question it leaves us is, am I up for the journey? Do I want this bread? Do I want this bread to go on this journey? And there's a tension here. There's a huge tension. I won't hide away from it. There's a tension between this liberation and this liberty. But the gospel's full of this tension, this now and the not yet that Jesus takes us into. And, and, and you might be in this tension. You might be thinking, oh, hang on a minute. Is there a bit of works going on here? Is this some sort of like works theology? Do I have to earn this freedom? But of course in this passage, the people had gone there. The people went there already, didn't they? They went, what must we do to do the works God requires? 
So they're already there, they were, and, and, and God answers, and Jesus answers very seriously. He says, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. So Jesus answers that question. It's really clear, and I, I think actually, he, he talks about believe, but if you start looking at the translations, I think if he was to stand here, I think that might be simpler put. Trust me? What do we have to do? Jesus says, trust me. We, we're trying to get building work done on our house at the moment. And it's, it's quite a challenge finding a builder. And we're looking for a builder. And, and actually our criteria, apart from price, is a builder we can trust. They're going to knock a hole in the side of our house, about two meters wide. And the structural is says there's two tons of our house sitting on this hole. So just believing the guy's a builder is not going to cut it for me. He says, I'm a builder. I'll do it. Actually, I've got to trust him or her. But I've got to trust them to come and say, well, we're going to do this. Okay, and we're going to do that. We're going to do this. And we're going to work together. And we're going to do this stuff together. And in the end, our house will be transformed. And that, I think, is what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. Here, do you trust me to let me transform you? And within this, you know, I say just a bit more on this... You know, you look back at Luther and things, and, and you say, well, hang on a minute, what's this? Is there something I have to do here? But I had a book, I think I brought it with me, but I've had a book on my bedside table for about nine months, which I borrowed from the library, so they, I think they by now think I've lost it, but I haven't, I've still got it. But, and it's a book older than me, it was printed in 1960-something. And it's, it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German theologian, who, if you don't know about him, he, he's one of the confessing church, and... He, he went back to Germany and said, this is not, he stood up to the Nazis and he was hanged days before the end of the war. But he talks about Luther in that and he says, and these words, he says, it will be a fatal misunderstanding if we take Luther as a reason to dispense with obedience to the call of Jesus. He says, Luther was a monk. This guy knew what it was to lay down everything and follow Jesus, to just go with him and trust him. And he argues that that is never thrown away, never thrown away. So we talk about this discipleship. How does he talk about transformation? In a sense, discipleship is, is quite, what do I do? Transformation is, what are you going to do, God? And what am I going to let you do? Is the question. And then if you're in this tension, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, thank goodness. I see this tension. I see this tension in my life. I've been there. I've been there. And perhaps in some ways we're all there. That there are things that are holding us back from freedom. And, and, and God says, and Jesus says, I, I, I'll feed you for that. I'll feed you for that transforming journey. And, and um, I've got a quote here from a theologian, Terence Fretheim, and, and he describes it, the Exodus story. He says, your present situation, the present situation, our present situation, doesn't define what is possible for God. With God, newness and change are lively's possibilities. But we have to trust Jesus. We have to trust Jesus. And I think the question as we come to this table today is, do I trust you enough to let you transform me? Do I want that bread? For that journey. And, and just to be clear again in here. Jesus, as Lou said earlier. Jesus said I will lose none of those. 
There is a deep, deep promise in here, along with an invitation that says, I will lose none of those who come to me and come with me on this journey. So I don't know whether you, you think about heaven much. I, I, I sort of, I, I don't know whether it's an age thing. Do people think about heaven? Are you in eternal life? Jesus talks loads in here about eternal life, living forever, heaven. It's about 13 times in the passage, I think. It's, it's quite remarkable. And as I think about heaven, I think there's not a lot I know about it. But interestingly enough, seeing those pictures up there of, of the fun day and things last week, that triggers things about heaven in my head. I don't know what it does you. And I think, yeah. I'm with this. This is sort of a bit like heaven, isn't it? When you see all peoples of all nations and we're just having fun and it, it's life. So, you know, it's that. But, so when I think about that, but when I look at heaven, I think, I'm not like this there. That's the one thing I know. I'm not like this. But as I think this, I look back at my liberation and I realize that I'm not like I was then. Some of you might be sitting there thinking it's hard to believe, but it's true. I, I, I wasn't like I am now. Uh, I've come a long way, but I'm on that journey, and I realize that Jesus is inviting me in this bread. And that's really this, this table. It, it's, it's stacked in controversy in the churches around the world. It's not a subject I particularly follow. I'm not particularly interested in, this, in looking into it, but... What you realize when you look at this, this is a Passover meal that was celebrated thousands of years before while they were out here eating bread. Well, before they had bread, even before they even got the bread. They celebrate this Passover meal. And, and Jesus isn't changing it. Jesus isn't going, oh, do away with that. This is me. Jesus is embracing this. He's embracing this liberation story and saying, I'm bread, I'm it. And you're all invited. And this is no longer just the confines of Israel. This is you. You're invited to come and participate in this liberation and join me on this journey to liberty. Uh, and, and this controversy, in a sense, and if you like long words again, there's word transubstantiation or something. I'm not even trying to explain what it means. Cause I don't think I really know. But it's all about how God does things. I'm an engineer. I love to know how things work. I've sussed it with God now. I've got fat chance of working out how he does things. I just, it took me a few years, but I just realized that I just get on with it. I don't need to worry. And our arguments about that in the church have just clouded the fact that what's important is what God does. So if this is a bread of transformation, then let God do what he does. Don't get bogged down in how he does it. It doesn't matter. So I think as we, as we come, and I, I'm, I'm coming to, to end, I just think it's irrelevant in terms of how we try and work some of this stuff out. And we should just invite God to do what God does best. And I think what God does best is create a beautiful world full of beautiful people. And if we want to be party of that, then we say, yeah, count me in. I take this bread. And the question we ask is that, is do I trust Jesus enough to let him transform me? Do we, each of us, trust Jesus enough to let him transform us? And we look for stuff. I don't know, we think, oh, what bad things do I do? I don't think it's bad things. I think God comes to free us from every 
obsession we have in life. You know, maybe it's our mobile phone or our television or obsession with anything. God says, I can deal with it. And of course, there's stacks of other stuff. There's addictions and all sorts of things that he comes to lead us from. But I think in some respects, we're all there in a point that says, I need this bread for this journey. So I'd just like to invite a band up before I just come to a, to a close so we can we move straight back into worship. But I just, you know, want to pick back on those words of Terence Fretheimer talked about, that, that this is, if I can find them, it's the present situation does not define what is possible for God. With God, newness and change are lively possibilities. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of transformation. And I just want to finish up, I just want to finish up on the words of John F. Kennedy, the President of the United States, 1961 in his inaugural speech. And he's talking about change. He's talking about the need for change. Do you know there's an irony in change? We like to think, we don't, humans don't really like change, you know, so we thought, wait a minute, everything changes. What hasn't changed in our lives? We think we're in control, we've got next to no control. And Jesus is saying, let me do it. You know, you don't need to go and search, don't go and start introspection, let God do it, let God say, do you know what, we could change this, we could go here, we could do this. It's a God of infinite possibilities. I just encourage you to join on that table. But so John F. Kennedy, he's talking about the need for change. He's talking about change. And he quotes the words of Isaiah. And he says, Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. And this is in his inaugural speech in 1961. And then he says these words. He says, All of this will not be finished in the first 100 days. All of this will not be finished in the first 1,000 days nor in the life of this administration, nor perhaps in our lifetime on this planet. But let us begin. Thank you.